hppodcraft.com. The three and three-quarter minutes which it is necessary to wait while the time lock is opening are to me golden moments. From that instant, I set the combination to the moment when I grasp the knobs and swing back the solid steel doors, I live in an ecstasy of expectation. Those moments must be like moments passed in paradise. I know what I am to find at the end of the time limit. I know what the massive safe holds secure for me, for me alone, and the exquisite pleasure of waiting is hardly enhanced when the safe opens and I lift from its velvet crown a diadem of purest gold blazing with diamonds. I do this every day, and yet the joy of waiting and at last touching again the diadem only seems to increase as the days pass. It is a diadem fit for a king among kings, an emperor among emperors. The king in yellow might scorn it, but it shall be worn by his royal servant. Welcome back to our coverage of The Repair of Reputations, the first story in Robert W. Chambers' 1890s weird fiction anthology, The King in Yellow. I am Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey, and you are listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast at hppodcraft.com. Glad to be back. Back? Oh, yeah, you were gone, Chad. You were, you were on, a, on a holiday. Yeah, we recorded a little early because I had to split for a couple weeks. I was in Illinois and, and Missouri just seeing friends and family. It was a pretty fun time. Yeah. But uh, good to be back in California. Uh, what, what have you been up to? Well, uh, the big thing is, is dealing with our new uh, premium site, which has been great. But also, I've just launched a Kickstarter. You did? I did, yes. And uh, now, it's not Lovecraftian, but it's me. So I figured I could bring it up on the show. <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> Do you know what transhumanism is? I'm somewhat familiar with it, but mostly because of things you've told me. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm, a, I'm all about the singularity. and um, Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And exactly. I welcome it, you know, when we can put machines in our brains and yeah. scan ourselves into computers and that kind of thing. So it, it involves that kind of stuff, right? Exactly. Well, it's a, it's a graphic novel that involves that type of stuff. And this is okay. uh, my first solo graphic novel project that I'm writing and drawing to, to follow up uh, Deadbeats, which is going to be coming out in a couple months. Graphic novel that you're doing, it's called... Transreality. Transreality. And it's about uh, this kind of thing? It's about it's that about... kind of thing, yeah. Without going into too much detail, uh, a guy that's from our, our time ends up in the future sort of like Futurama, but it's okay. it's not it's not very funny. So <laughs> it's not very funny on purpose. You're saying it's more dramatic. It's more dramatic, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. So uh we can put up something in the show notes. We'll I'm sure that link. on your yes. Kickstarter page you've got a video, right? And yep. all that kind of stuff that explains got a, video. a little better. Yeah, there's it okay. explains a lot more and it's got me doing some crazy stuff in the video. So uh just even if you're not interested in this, I would say go look at the video just to see me doing crazy stuff. Okay, cool. Well, we'll, we'll put up a link to that on hppodcraft.com as well as witchhousemedia.com, which is our home for the uh, premium show that we're doing right now. Yeah. And so, folks, I know we already asked you to subscribe to this, but if you want to support what's probably going to be a really awesome graphic novel, I'm playing a little stupid. I have seen some pages from it, and it's pretty it's pretty <laughs> sweet. Uh, you, you should check it out, and, and hopefully people will support that because I'd like to get it in my hands and read it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> our opening today was – once again, read by J.P. Moore. Uh, we had him on last time, and he's reading for us again. He, of course, is the author of Toothless, among lots of other great horror fiction. And and you can find out more about his work at jpmoreonline.com, which we will also link out to. This story was not 
picked up by H.P. Lovecraft. This is in the book that Lovecraft mentions called The King in Yellow, which is a right. series of stories that are loosely tied around this play called The King in Yellow. The story that we picked, The Repair of Reputations, takes place in a future of 1920. Or, or maybe not. Or maybe not, right, because our narrator is unreliable, some might say insane, and he's the one that gives us the description of the future world that he occupies. When we last left the story, he had met with his co-conspirator, Mr. Wilde, who is the titular repairer of reputations. Yes. Um, and Mr. Wilde is helping him toward realizing his destiny as... King of America. Just King of America, because later he says he doesn't want to bring England into the question. So it is <laughs> it is the United States. But he would be a servant of the King in Yellow, who's some kind of uber... Super King. Super King. That in, in The King in Yellow, you would know about if you'd read the play. Of course, if you'd read the play, you'd be insane, because it's it's been banned and it's been known to drive people mad. It's, it's funny that you mention that, too, because... Uh, one of our commenters, this uh, person named Zoe, uh, uh -huh. she said, you know, last week we kind of were laughing at them when they said, oh, well, we've got a thousand men ready to act and 10,000 more will come down and, right. and all this stuff. We, we we just kind of assumed that it was insane people that were talking about things that weren't real. Mm -hmm. But she brought up, she goes, well, if all of these people read The King in Yellow as well, which it was a popular play and was banned, maybe oh, yeah. maybe they are connected in some way maybe they became part of this weird maybe there is a cult or there is a, a group of people that follow whatever this repair of reputation say she's she said that's just a possibility i think it's much more interesting if they're crazy I, just because it amuses <laughs> well me. it's interesting either way i mean it's interesting that it's ambiguous i know that in the story he did say every one of those men had received a yellow sign so yeah, yeah they probably did read the play i mean it's possible that that is the case yeah good point zoe we shouldn't maybe have been so uh, dismissive. <laughs> it, could be, it could be a really dangerous cult. Well, now, after this meeting with Mr. Wilde, in which he looked over the book of uh, lineage that tells him that he is going to inherit this uh, realm well, of America. there's a problem. Yes, because his cousin, Louis, is, he's the heir to the throne. Now, this opening passage that we heard is him taking a crown out of a time-locked uh, safe, yeah. placing it on his head and beholding it in all its glory. And of course, when I knowing that this is probably fake, and that is confirmed later, but the first thing I always thought of was the those little paper crowns they give you at Burger King. <laughs> oh, another thing I you know somebody else, another listener uh, note that I forgot to mention last week. We had asked listeners to translate the French passage that opened the story, uh -huh. and it was uh, "Don't mock the insane; their madness lasts longer than ours." That's the only difference. Mm -hmm. Which Steve Dempsey had had uh, read it for us, but another guy had written it in. And said I, he wanted to give it a localization, which was a pity the fool who laughs at them crazy people, because you're going to be crazy next, fool. <laughs> Wait, was that was that listener Mr. T? It was Robert Allen, but I, oh. I I do think that it, if you are going to offer a translation of something, it is best to also offer it in T speak. Yes, for those of us who enjoy that so much. So thanks, Robert. Mr. T is a listener of the show. I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, okay, so once he cradles this crown in his arms for a while, uh, an alarm in the safe tells him it's time to put it away, uh -huh. which he does. He can only have it out for a while. Then he just kind of looks out the square below his lodgings, and there are troops kind of lounging around everywhere. Right. There was a big parade that was going on earlier in the day. The, the troops from the parade are just kind of hanging out there, and he does notice that they're in the square is the suicide booth. We talked about that last week. It's legal for suicide. In fact, there are these booths that are set up and this is the first one where people can mm -hmm. just walk in and, and kill themselves. And it's totally legal and not socially frowned upon. As he's gazing down there, in fact, he sees a young man. There's a little bit of a commotion because a young man approaches the lethal chamber, stares at the statues of the fates that are flanking it. And then he heads on in. 
lots of bystanders, but nothing much to see when somebody goes in. You know, yeah, doors closed. So, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if maybe it's not a lethal chamber at all, but some kind of scared straight program. You know, like. <laughs> You press the button and then you drop down through a trap door and there's just a guy in a devil costume like pushes you into a cell where you got to share it with Jack the Ripper or something. He's been working out a lot and he's got a taste for young suicidal guys. You know, <laughs> The next day you run out of the lethal chamber. I'm sorry I ever wanted to do this. You should probably think about writing your uh, congressman about that plan. That sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> this is <laughs> the scared straight via suicide booth. Hildred, who's the name, that's the name of our, our main character. Hildred mm-hmm. goes out for a walk. As he's strolling past a group of officers, he does run into his cousin. Lewis. Um, and I think this is the first time we actually meet Lewis, right? Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was he was seen in the parade, I think, earlier. They they mentioned mm-hmm. that he's part of it, but he comes up and starts talking to him. He's like, oh, you know, what have you been up to? And he goes, oh, I was just hanging out with at, uh, Mr. Wilds. And Lewis is like, oh, that crazy old guy. What are you doing hanging out with him? And then Lewis can see that it's agitating Hildred, so he sort of just changes the subject. Lewis said something that is interesting to me when he's talking about Mr. Wilde. He said he is hideously deformed. His head is the head of a criminally insane person. In the last episode, you mentioned that psychology was not particularly advanced at the time the story was written, late 19th yeah. century. And even though plenty of scholars referred to it as pseudoscience even then, phrenology was still sort of in the popular zeitgeist, I guess. I, I mm-hmm. think it had been widely debunked in the U.S. by the time this was written, but judging mental facilities by the shape of one's head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could say, oh, the brow's like this and their head's shaped that way so they could potentially be a criminal or, or that kind of thing. Right. And it pops up in literature a lot. There are references to phrenology in Sherlock Holmes stories, yeah. a few mentions of it in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which was published only a couple of years after this. I, I know the Bronte sisters were believers in phrenology and, and you know, Poe critics say that he was really influenced by those ideas. So I just that little, you know, his head is the head of a criminally insane person. I'm, hmm. what, what does that look like? I thought it was a cool... Maybe something that would be lost on a modern audience. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I I hadn't really thought much about that before. And I always thought it was strange that they comment on the shape of his head. But now that you put it in perspective, it makes perfect sense. I'm a genius. Well, uh, so Lewis, <laughs> I didn't Lewis uses, uh, yes, you did. Uh, you implied it. You implied it. Lewis uses Hildred <laughs> as an excuse to go see Constance, who, you know, he's in love with. And so they head over to Hauberks, who's the armorer that is Constance's father. It stinks for Hildred because he kind of gets set up to converse with Hauberks so that Lewis has time with Constance. And they all decide to get in a carriage for a ride around town. Eventually, Lewis and Constance go off for a stroll and Hildred is left with Hauberks. Now, you'll remember that Hildred had given him some information on where to find a lost piece of armor, which was info he'd gotten from Mr. Wilde. Right, because Hauberk thought that Mr. Wilde was just a nutcase and was dismissive of him. And Hildred said, well, actually, he knows that suit of armor that you're looking for. He knows where it is, and this is the address. And then he goes, what? That's weird. Why would he? Right. He went and checked it out. He decided, he goes, well, you know, why not look? And it was there, and he found it. And he's, well... Thank you for this tip. Let me give you some money or let me give Mr. Wilde some money because he's actually helped me out. <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't want, he doesn't want that money. He refuses it, you know. What do you know about Mr. Wilde? He's saying he's rich and he's going to be richer than any living man except myself. And when things go our way, he kind of is <laughs> referencing his plan and Hauberk is like, "Oh, what is this about?" <laughs> so, you know, what's going on here? And um, Hildred keeps almost getting tricked into saying something, but pulling back at the last moment, he just hints at their delusions of grandeur. It's again, it's that thing where he reports the reactions of other people quite honestly, even right. though what he's saying is kind of crazy. But you notice that this conversation was had with only the two of them there to hear it. So it's possible that Hauberk never found that armor, that he didn't even, this is just something that the character's manufacturing. 
but Hildred does seem to report things honestly about yeah, when yeah. other people are talking. So he is talking here. Uh, Hopper is saying these things. Well, so do you think Mr. Wilde really knew where that was? Yeah. I mean, or or Hildred did. And if Hildred did, why would he know? Well, I guess it goes back to Zoe's comment that maybe there are these cultists. You know, if Mr. Wilde knowing where that small piece of armor was lends a little credence to what he's saying about having agents everywhere and makes you go, well, is some of this true? Right. That's what's interesting and cool about the story is you it you think that they're crazy and dismissive, but then all these all, all these tiny little things creep in that make you doubt it. Yeah. Well, when uh, Lewis and Constance come walking back, they're being very lovey-dovey, and mm-hmm. Hildred knows it's about time he straightens things out, which uh, which gets us into the third chapter of the story. The third chapter starts much in the same way we started this podcast, with him opening the safe and taking the crown out again, putting it on his head and staring at himself in the mirror, just watching his eyes change. And He's just loving it, just really getting into looking at himself in the crown and being this amazing king this, yeah. this man of power and except lewis walks in on him <laughs> while he's doing it which is so humiliating it's like having somebody walk in while you're singing into your hairbrush or something emotion lotion <laughs> lewis says what is all this are you ill and he says come come take off that brass crown and toddle into the study are you going to a masquerade what is all this theatrical tinsel anyway so that's when we see that it's the burger king crown yeah. there's nothing to this at all it's made of brass mm. and paste and he speaks of the safe as a biscuit box. Obviously, uh, Lewis is kind of worried about him. And he says, you know, you gotta, we got to do something with you. You're just four years. You've been shut up in here and not getting any exercise. All you do is read these books, all books about Napoleon. <laughs> and, like he's got like 19 books about Napoleon, except for where yeah. Hildred points out, well, there is another book, The King in Yellow. You know, maybe you want to give that a look. <laughs> yeah, he tries to get him to read it. And then yeah. he says, no, 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 I'm not going to read that. People were driven crazy by reading that book. And there's a cool little detail where he says, I believe the author shot himself after bringing forth this monstrosity, didn't he? And uh, Hildred says, he says, I understand he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Lewis says, OK, that's probably true because bullets couldn't kill a fiend like that. You know, nobody's quite sure what the fate of the author is. It reminds me of Abdul Alhazred with the Necronomicon. Right, right. Spirits right. ripped him apart, they say, or maybe he went here and is still alive in the nameless city. or You, you know what I mean? There's this right. mystical kind of legendary. There's these myths about the author. Definitely was an influence on, on H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lewis's real purposes for coming up there was to confirm what Hildred already suspected, which is that he's going to be married to Constance, sweetest girl on earth. And he's also going to uh, get promoted, I think. Captain. He actually asked Hildred to be his best man. That's the thing about this, too, is Lewis is really nice to him and is a good cousin throughout the whole story. And he he's just genuinely seemed to have his well-being in mind. Hildred's. Yeah, these conversations are really well scripted. You know, you can see him nicely humoring him and trying not to make him feel bad about himself. Yeah, and, and still wants him to be his best man at his wedding. So obviously he's got real feelings for him. The only thing Hildred wants out of him is that he, he speak with him at midnight. Yes. That he meet him in the park and speak with him at midnight that night. Like, which why, I, why would you want to do that? And he goes, please, that's the only thing I ask. Just do that. And he's like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll humor you. Just as he yeah. has been humoring him throughout the, the story. So at the conclusion of that meeting, Hildred heads back up to Mr. Wilde's place. We find Mr. Wilde groaning on the floor. <laughs> his clothes torn to shreds. The cat hasn't just been ripping up his face. He's like, the cat's been taking his pants off and stuff, too. It's a... <laughs> Things are getting weird up there. In fact, Hildred grabs a hatchet and runs around trying to find the cat so he can kill her, but doesn't. And he says, now is the time that we've got to deal with Lewis. 
It's happening. He's going to get married, and we can't allow that to happen. And he says, we're going to have an assassin take care of this. And that's when Mr. Wilde says, uh, Vance, come in. (laughs) (laughs) Which is this weird uh, man who's been crouching in the shadows, which Hildred didn't even see. It's a pretty creepy moment. He introduces him to Hildred and says, this is our future king. The repair of reputations Mr. Wilde has gotten him out of some trouble. He had been serving a term of forgery at Sing Sing, spent some time in an insane asylum, so he probably mm-hmm. read The King in Yellow. He owes Mr. Wilde for taking care of some things, so he's, he's mm-hmm. basically his, his servant. They read aloud the history of the Imperial Dynasty of America to Vance, so yeah. he has a good understanding of why he's going to need to do what he does. And, and why does he need to do it? It's because Lewis and Constance get married. Well, Lewis is actually the king. He's the rightful king of the dynasty of America. Right. If he has a child and then dies, the child becomes king. Right. That would take Hildred right out of the equation. So he wants before any kids can possibly come about. He wants to make sure that the woman is out of the picture because Lewis can go into exile fine. It's especially bad with her because she is the hiding daughter of the Marquis of Avonshire. So if they marry, suddenly that unions up England and America, and that's even worse. So Louis, Louis would have a larger dominion, and he can't have that happen. So I think what they're asking Vance to do is go in and take out Hauberk and his daughter. He's going to talk with Louis and offer him the chance to go into exile, uh, which is a very, you know, it's Napoleon idea. Like, they sent Napoleon to exile, then he came back, and then they had to send him into exile again. So this was, you know, something you could do to get rid of somebody without actually killing them. Yeah. And then so they write out some sort of execution order, and Hildred signs it with his name, Hildred Rex, his first writ of execution. And Vance carries it off to do whatever that business is going to be. And then Hildred heads down to the park so he can have this midnight meeting with Lewis. And Lewis shows up right on time, and then this is where, you know, you really see what a good guy Lewis is in this conversation. I yeah. Think. Hildred pulls out, out of a manuscript out of his pocket, and this is from the Imperial Dynasty of America. It's one of those things. Lewis is really good about it. He's like, I've got some things I need you to read so you have an understanding of this. So he hands him that Imperial secession document right he hands him some notes on it he's even got a scroll marked with the yellow sign that he shows him he says just please bear with me and and promise me you'll read this through and lewis is reading it and is he's starting to go oh man oh great he's really nuts in fact i think his lips seem to form the word rubbish at one point for hildred's sake he reads it through and of course he starts to get a little interested when uh, his own name shows up in there but even then he seems a little like okay this is just what's going on with my buddy he's crazy when he gives him the yellow sign He sees it. He's like, what's this? Hildred gets annoyed with him that he doesn't know what it is. And he's like, it's the yellow sign. And he goes, oh, okay. Yeah, in that that flattering kind of voice, which Dr. Archer used to use. Yeah, That kind of condescending, you're crazy voice. He says, "I, I began to speak very calmly. Dr. Archer knew about this and he kept it from everybody. And he tried to keep me down. And he wanted you to be king, not me. The whole fall from the horse and putting him in the asylum, that was Dr. Archer's plan to keep him from becoming king. Hopefully driving him insane or or poisoning him with the drugs that they were giving him. So Hildred says, I visited him last night and the interview was final. Yeah. So this is what he's been talking about all along. He was going to take care of Dr. Archer. And he wanted to do it himself. He really had a vendetta against that guy. So he killed him. Right, which is when Lewis stops humoring him and thinks, this isn't my harmless... uh, crazy i mean like this is the harmful kind of crazy is happening right. and, and i didn't see it before he, he says well there's also you know i had the final interview with him but there's also some more people that need to be interviewed Hallberg and, and constance and that's when lewis stands up and says 
you know, what is going on? And Hildur tells him, you know, you have to renounce the crown to me. Lewis is like, of course, I, it's a funny line there. He says, of course I renounce the, what is it I must renounce? He still can't <laughs> kind of follow this crazy thing. And then he's like, of course I renounce it. I renounce it. You know, like, come on, I'll walk you back to your rooms. Uh, I, I love that line. He goes, don't try any of your doctor's tricks on me. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you renounce the crown and I'll grant you exile. If you refuse, you're going to die. When uh, Lewis is trying to kind of calm him and get him back to his rooms, he pulls out a knife and says, you know, you're going to find Dr. Archer in his cellar with his throat cut. And this is freaking Lewis out. And then suddenly a man comes running up All right. and, and runs it's Vance. right into the lethal. It's Vance. He yeah. runs right into the lethal temple. Vance just runs. Yeah, it comes running down. I, in my head, I was naked. I don't know why. It's not. Yeah, in me too. Story. Why is that? Why did you thought the same thing that he was? naked? Yeah, it doesn't I did. say anywhere in there. We have problems. So, but yeah, he just runs. He just runs down the street and jumps into the to the lethal chamber, and and then yeah. he's never seen again. Because Hildred says to him, "Ha ha, you you're no menace anymore," because he just took care of Constance. Hildred runs first, and Lewis goes after him, saying, "You know, I'm going to shoot you." Hildred's got a little. He's a little ahead of Lewis. He runs over to Hauberk's, passes Hauberk's, doesn't even really look in there. Goes straight up to Mister Wilds. He's so happy because his it is now going to be his. Uh, you know, he's going to be the king. Yeah. He bursts into Mister Wilds and he says, "You know, it's done. It's done. Let the nations rise and look upon their king." But he can't find Mister Wilds. But he runs over to the cabinet. He takes his crown out, draws on his white silk robe, which has the yellow sign embroidered on it, puts the crown on his head, and he's just sort of, "Ah, this is my. I'm king, king by my right, and Haster king because I knew the mystery of the Hyades." You know, he's just enjoying this so much but then uh, suddenly he hears in the passageway a man groan I seized the tallow dip and sprang to the door the cat passed me like a demon and the tallow dip went out but my long knife flew swifter than she and I heard her screech and I knew that my knife had found her for a moment I listened to her tumbling and thumping about in the darkness and then when her frenzy ceased I lighted a lamp and raised it over my head Mr. Wilde lay on the floor with his throat torn open. At first I thought he was dead, but as I looked, a green sparkle came into his sunken eyes. His mutilated hand trembled, and then a spasm stretched his mouth from ear to ear. For a moment, my terror and despair gave place to hope. But as soon as I bent over him, his eyeballs rolled clean around in his head, and he died. Then, while I stood transfixed with rage and despair, seeing my crown, my empire, every hope and every ambition, my very life lying prostrate there with the dead master, they came, seized me from behind, and bound me until my veins stood out like cords, and my voice failed with the paroxysms of my frenzied screams. But I still raged, bleeding and infuriated among them, and more than one policeman felt my sharp teeth. Then, when I could no longer move, they came nearer. I saw old Hauberk, and behind him my cousin Lewis's ghastly face, and farther away in the corner a woman, Constance, weeping softly. Ah! I see it now, I shrieked. You have seized the throne and the empire. Woe, woe to you who are crowned with the crown of the king in yellow. Editor's Notes Mr. Castaigne died yesterday in the asylum for criminal insane. And that's the end of the story. Oh, that is the end of the story. So, yeah, none of that happened. Those people, they didn't die. Constance wasn't killed. Hawbrook wasn't nothing. Yeah. 
that Hildred killed Wilde? That's entirely possible, but why would he? Yeah. No, no, there's no... There's no... Unless, you know, Mr. Wilde is not who he's been characterizing him to be either. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if that lethal chamber's out there. It might just be a phone booth. Right. A lot of these things might not be real. And I'm, was the doctor really killed? Did he really slit the doctor's throat? I tend to believe that he might have actually done that. That's the thing that makes this interesting, because you can have a story in which everything is unreliable. Why would I want to read that story? Because if there's no weight of truth to it, you're just listening to somebody's dream, essentially. I mean, it's not interesting. But this does the kind of thing where it plants certain things that seem true, right? Right. And the editor's note is that Mr. Castain died yesterday in in the asylum for the criminally insane, Mm -hmm. meaning that he performed a criminal act. Is that the murder of the doctor? Is that the murder of Wilde? Is that... I think it was the murder of the doctor. I think that they had... I think Vance was an entirely unreliable person. (laughs) So he probably maybe even tried or attempted Mm -hmm. the murder. But as soon as, you know, he saw what he was going to do, he couldn't handle it. And so he ran off to kill himself. Well, I even wonder if if Vance was even a real guy. Because the way he kind of came out of the shadows in in Wilde's room Mm -hmm. made me think that maybe he wasn't real. Well, one thing that is made reference to earlier is uh, when... Hildred is walking through the park. He gives some money to a homeless man. Mm-hmm. And then there's another homeless person who asks him for something and he doesn't have anything. So he gives him a piece of paper with the yellow sign on it. And that person looks at it meaningfully and folds it up and puts it away. So is it possible that it's the homeless people or the tramps or whatever that he thinks those are his army? Like these people that are just other crazy people? Could be. And that Vance was just one of them running through the park like yeah. anybody would, you know, because the park is where he was finding them. Where I want to stand with it. Or at least what I feel is the truth of the story is that there was something going on. There was Mm -hmm. this cult of the the king in yellow. There were these people that were driven insane. And from this insanity, they got some sort of insight. However, this insight is clouded by their madness. So this whole thing about him being king of of the American dynasty, it's not really what was going on. It mm-hmm. was just sort of filtered through his idea of what aristocracy is and what kings and... But he was going to be a servant of the king in yellow. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a group delusion. I think it's a group delusion that was shared and that's just sort of... Filled. I, mean, that, I mean, that's what I'm taking away from the story. I could be wrong. Sure. I don't know if the suicide boots were were not really there or they were. You're right. That might be one of the bits that's not legit. It's hard to know, but uh, I just really like it. It's fun to talk about. It's, it's so fun, fun to talk about. It's so fun to talk about, yeah. Well, well, you need something. I mean, the fact that it is maybe some kind of cult, uh, it, it follows that pattern where you have a, a leader who has these delusions of grandeur. I'm reincarnation of Christ, or I'm the only one that speaks to God, Yeah, and I can get everybody. I mean, it follows that same kind of pattern. Um, we're going to kill the right people. You know, I'm talking like Charles Manson or Jim Jones. Sure, or sure. These jerk-offs that, you know. But they had followers, and part of it was because they had confidence that they were right, and there was some kind of divine right that they had, and that people fell for it, and and it was preying on people who had problems mentally or had problems socially. And so we're looking for leadership. We're looking for some kind of, there is meaning to what we do, and everybody else is wrong, and we're right. Uh, One thing I wanted to bring up, because it connects to a story we're going to do in two stories from now, The Yellow Wallpaper, Mm -hmm. that was actually published in 1892, yeah, when it was this. it was rejected for publication in 1891, 
by a physician who claimed it would drive anyone mad to read it. Yeah. It's been suggested that that, actually the old wallpaper might have been an influence on the play The King in Yellow, dealing as it does with mental illness. Pretty soon we're going to have a a nice discussion about what was going on in in this time in history with uh, Andrew Lehman and... uh, we, we still have yet to name this segment, what we're going to call it. Right. But it'll be a little bit of history about this period and maybe, you know, how all this literature connects. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that next time we're going to do another story from this collection by Robert W. Chambers. It's called The Yellow Sign. And that's the story that Lovecraft specifically called out in supernatural horror and literature. It's a right. really cool story. And Andrew's going to read that one for us. So yeah. it's going to be the old school H.P. Podcraft treatment on a very creepy story with lots of good gothic horror in it. So I hope people will join us again next week. Yeah, please do. As we delve into that. I want to thank uh, J.P. Moore for doing our readings over these this two episodes covering the repair of reputations. He did a great job. Please check out his site, jpmooreonline.com. Also, look at our show notes and make sure you go over to the Kickstarter page where oh, Mr. Yeah. Chris Lackey yeah. is. Yeah. Please check out my Kickstarter. It's uh, And I, I think it's going to be super cool. And it's not typically... It's not Lovecraftian, but... I think it's something this audience will like a lot. So yeah. hopefully you'll go over there and, and uh, hand him a couple bucks and, and get that going. Next week, we're going to have the first part of The King in Yellow. But the following week, we will be taking off. We're going to take okay. off uh, off the uh, the weekend. We'll be back in September. Right, because that's the extra weekend. Yeah, August, we have we have five Thursdays in August. And then when we're back in September, we'll do a little more coverage of supernatural horror and literature, and, and we'll be covering the yellow sign. And then I think we'll be getting into all kinds of other great stuff, Algernon Blackwood and um, Arthur Mackin. Um, also, thank you for subscribing to the show. Without you subscribing, we would not be doing this. That's right. Please tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell people you don't like to uh, subscribe to the show <laughs> and uh, uh, help us out. Tell everybody. We're trying real hard here. And with that, I am Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And you have been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At HPPodcraft.com. Along the shore, the cloud waves break. The twin suns sink beneath the lake. The shadows lengthen in Carcosa. Strange is the night where black stars rise and strange moons circle through the skies, but stranger still is lost Carcosa. Songs that the Hyades shall sing where flap the tatters of the king must die unheard in dim Carcosa. Song of my soul, my voice is dead. Die thou unsung as tears unshed shall dry and die in lost Carcosa. HPPodcraft.com. <laughs> <laughs>